Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for gathering your people this day. Father, we pray that your son might be honored all around this world today. Father, we pray that we might honor him with our lives um, in the days ahead. Would you bless your people now? Would you feed your sheep? Would you give us what we need? Would you bless our fellowship? May it glorify and honor you. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and come to Him to find soul rest have also come to a yoke. Remember, He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. So remember, the invitation of Jesus is much more than a call to accept Christ or confess His name, or follow me. Though it's definitely all of those. It's more. It's a call to be voluntarily yoked to Him. To be pulling in the same direction that He's pulling, the same way that He is. To be prioritizing what He prioritizes. To be learning from Him resting in His grace and love and goodness, all while working with Him in this world. It's a call to a yoke. The way of Jesus is very different than the way of this world. It's very different. There is a wisdom of this world, and the way of Jesus is esteemed as Foolishness by the worldly wise men. Do you understand that? It's foolishness to them. In Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 29, verses 14 and 15, Isaiah writes, The Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Now, when was that prophecy fulfilled? Isaiah's prophecy. Well, According to the apostolic hermeneutic, that hermeneutic that affirms that when we have a holy apostle of Jesus interpret the old covenant scripture, 
We have the definitive interpretation. And we can, using the apostolic hermeneutic, we can affirm that the Isaiah prophecy there was fulfilled in the cross work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great apostle Paul writes, quote, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah's prophecy, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-29. So listen, saints, there is a wisdom of this world. But Jesus, the wisdom of God, is bringing this world's wisdom to nothing, to naught. His way is different. The way of Jesus is different. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10, and look, look down there to verse 35. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, that is to Jesus, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? They said to him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of that cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them unto him and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be, so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, as we, as we spoke er- earlier, some Bible scholars assert Markan priority believing that the gospel, according to St. Mark, was the first of the synoptics. I don't know. Aurelius Augustine didn't believe that. But, listen, it's a blessing that we have four gospels because we often get details in one that aren't apparent in another. Look to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and back uh, down to verse 20. In in Matthew's narration of this event, we learn that it wasn't just James and John. They had their mother in on this. Matthew records, verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him. And we just saw moments ago, she was there in Jerusalem when our Lord was murdered. She came with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant." even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, brothers and sisters, listen. (laughs) In this world's wisdom, the most important people are leaders. In the wisdom of this world, the most important people are leaders. When I was a kid and I was in the first uh, 4-H club, they used to have junior leadership training. Everybody got to be trained to be a leader. 
I was barely out of college in my first accounting job when employers started sending me to leadership classes. Oh, we need leaders. I want you to be the team captain. Lead. Show some leadership skills. In the corporation here, we're looking for leaders. Listen, that is the mindset of this world, friend. The princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion, lordship over others. Those considered great by the world exercise authority upon others. And leaders are the great ones. But the way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is different. The Master teaches, it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Minister there is not talking about a preacher. It's talking about someone who ministers, who serves. Listen, this world greatly values leadership. Jesus, the master, greatly values followship. This world greatly values chiefs. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He values the Indians. The wisdom of this world prioritizes chiefs. Jesus, the wisdom of God, prioritizes Indians. Beloved, listen. We need less leadership and more followership. And this might be the only pulpit in the world where someone will hear that today. But it's the way of Jesus. I just read it to you twice. The teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ about leadership are diametrically opposed, almost polar opposite to the teaching of the greatest leadership teachers of this present evil world. Now that phrase, this present evil world, is from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.4. And listen, it refers not to this created order as evil, because when God had created everything, what did he say? It's very good. Well, that's not what this present evil world is referring to. Rather, it's referring to the fallen systems of this world, the principalities and powers of darkness who are even now at work in this world. So when I mention the great leadership teachers or great leadership teachers of this world, I'm speaking not of someone like John Maxwell who tries to integrate Christian principles into business leadership. That's not what I'm talking about. When I speak of the great leadership teachers of this world, I'm speaking of the giants in the history of human thought, like Aristocles Plato and Niccolo Machiavelli. 
Jesus' philosophy of leadership is exemplified in the passages that we just read in Matthew and Mark. The servant is the master. The Indian is the chief. The leader is the one who ministers to others. You've probably heard this phrase, servant leadership. Have you heard that phrase? Well, that's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. In the wisdom of this world, quote, servant leadership is something that cannot be. It's like a square circle. What are you talking about? One is either a servant or one is a leader. But in the wisdom of God, listen, in the wisdom of God, in his not of this world kingdom, servants are leaders. Is this hard to grasp, friend? It is. It's upside down and backwards, this kingdom, from the wisdom of this present evil world. The desire for ascendancy in fallen fallen humanity is great. I just want you to get ahead, son. I want you to do better than others. Bill just exposited that passage from James in which the apostolic writer has to explicitly instruct primitive church members not to be impressed by the persons of men. Look what he drove up in. I think that's a Rolls Royce. Who do you think that might be? Not to favor the rich above the poor. James, really? Are you having to teach the church members that? Yep. More than once. Have to keep reminding them. God's no respecter of persons. Why are you? And where did James learn that? Where did James learn that? Where did this apostolic idea come from? Well, it came directly from God, from Jesus. Jesus, listen, God is well aware of the primordial desire of man for preeminence, for supremacy, for domination, authority, power. And his answer to this prayer, this prayer for ascendance and supremacy is to do the exact opposite. Rather than seeking to be a leader, seek to be a servant. Did you see? That's what he told them. Boss, we want to we sit up on the high seat by you. No. No. Go love your brethren. Go serve somebody. And what had Jesus been doing? What had he been doing? Going around doing good. In the words of James, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. James 4.10 Would you yoke yourself to Jesus? and pull in the same direction that he pulls? 
Well, remember this. Remember the king of glory. The creator of the worlds. The king of kings and lord of lords. Remember what he did? Turn with me to the fourth gospel, chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was sat down again, He said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, Verily, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Well, beloved, listen, this is the king of kings. This is the wisdom of God in flesh. The son of God. This is Jesus who came not to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Now, contrast that leadership style with the greatest leadership that this world can champion and document. I don't know if you've ever read Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince, but it's considered by many to be one of the greatest treatises on leadership that has ever been written, especially political leadership. Machiavelli wrote it in the 16th century as an instruction guide for new princes, for royals. And in Machiavelli's worldly wisdom, he fully accepts the aims, the goals of princes 
Things like glory, survival, the maintenance of power, not getting voted out. And Machiavelli fully accepts that you can justify and use any means at all, all means, to achieve such ends. Machiavelli's Prince is a celebration of what I've spoken to you about before as the effectiveness paradigm. You remember this? The effectiveness paradigm. Remember what a paradigm is. A paradigm is, can be a pattern, but the way I'm using the word now, it's defined as the set of assumptions, concepts, values, and practices that constitutes a way of viewing reality for the community that shares them, especially in an intellectual discipline. It's the pattern. It's the way you do it. So in the effectiveness paradigm, ideas or actions are evaluated based upon whether the evaluator thinks that the ideas or the actions will be effective. He asks the question, will it work? Does it work? Listen, in our daily living, friends, you and I use the effectiveness paradigm all the time. It's what we do. We visualize some desired outcome and we think backward from that outcome to what we think it would take to achieve that outcome. And then we act in accordance with our thoughts. We see effect and we think, what was the cause? What could I do to generate that effect? We determine what actions we think will be effective to achieve the outcome that we want. And then we do that. We perform those actions. We use the effectiveness paradigm and we ask, will this work? And if it seems like it works, well, then that's what we do. That's what we do. Well, Machiavelli believed that to be effective, political leaders needed to be ruthless and tyrannical, not empathetic and just. And you know what? Is he right? So... His book is a short manual of advice for princes on how not to finish last. And his answer was never be overly devoted to acting ethically. You need to learn how to borrow every single dirty trick ever employed, no matter how dastardly, unscrupulous, nasty, Now, some of the ancient Romans and medieval and Renaissance Christians had also written books advising their secular leaders. And following Plato, they extolled strength and virtue and taught that moral actions were the best and that honesty was the best policy. But Machiavelli changed all that and said, that doesn't work. You look at the ones who are in power. You look at the ones who have maintained the power. And you know what they'll do to keep it? Anything. 
The best policy was not always the moral policy. Sometimes, he said, the moral policy is disastrous. Tell them the truth? Absolutely not. According to Machiavelli, lying, cheating, even murdering are the best policies if the situation calls for it. The ultimate goal of the prince is to obtain wealth, power, and glory, he said. It is not enough that you succeed. Others must fail. Machiavelli was amazed. He greatly admired Cesar Borea when he called his rivals to a conference and had them all murdered. Man, whoa, did you see that? That guy just secured his place. He brought them in from here and there and killed them all the same night. When Pope Julius II later broke all his promises to Borea and had him arrested, that really impressed Machiavelli. Both of those treacherous actions were brutally effective and thereby good in Machiavelli's book. The types of actions that a prince should copy. Machiavelli recommends that political leaders commit acts of brutality, murder, deception to maintain their power. One of the key methods of Machiavelli that he recommended was to scapegoat, to repeatedly accuse the other, never accept any blame for any problem. It's not me. It's the scapegoat. Always find someone else to put it on. Machiavelli is the originator of the phrase, and I've I've actually heard this quoted favorably, and it sends shivers down my spine. Better to be feared than loved. Beloved, listen, there is much precedence for the effectiveness paradigm for asking, will it work? And then proceeding, if you think it will work. Stalin's purges, Paul Potts killing fields, Himmler's final solution, those were all quite effective at the time. But they've become bywords in history to describe the hell that men have brought to this earth. Haven't they? Contrast the Machiavellian effectiveness paradigm with the politics of Jesus the ultimate servant leader. Think with me, friend. We are never taught by Jesus or the holy apostles. If you think it will be effective, pray. Are we? That's not in my Bible. We are never instructed that way. No, we are instructed, pray without ceasing. We are never taught, if you think it will be effective, if you think it will work, love your enemies. We're not taught that. Will loving your enemies work? What does that even mean? Will it work? Listen, beloved, we will never be turners of the other cheek. 
We will never go the extra mile. We will never give away our cloaks under an effectiveness paradigm. Beloved, hear me. If we're not trying, trying as best we can to love our enemies, trying as best we can to be followers rather than leaders, trying as best we can to be Indians instead of chiefs, trying to be servants instead of masters, then we're not even trying to obey the master. Because he said, follow me, watch what I do. See, what you see me doing, this is how you do it. While Machiavelli ruthlessly criticized Christianity, he strongly believed in the use of religion as a political tool. He thought that the fear of God kept society in order. And that while a leader shouldn't be too religious himself, he should make his people be as religious as possible. That'll keep them in line. And saints, listen, we don't generally talk politics in this church, but understand this. The successful politicians of this world have drunk deeply at the Machiavellian fountain. And you should not put any confidence in a politician's faith. Put your confidence in God. The Machiavellian techniques are the best wisdom this world has to offer. The best. And the wisdom of God is destroying the wisdom of man. Listen, friend, Machiavelli's real problem is that he wasn't playing the long game. He was no Christian, and like Nietzsche after him, he notes that from a practical perspective, Jesus of Nazareth's life was a disaster. He was trampled, humiliated, disregarded, abused, mocked, and killed. In Machiavelli, in Nietzsche's view, Jesus was one of history's greatest losers. King David, the man after God's own heart, he played the long game. He saw those who lived by the effectiveness paradigm. He saw them, and we read it this morning, Michael. They were firm in strength, they were not in trouble. Their eyes were standing out with fatness. They had more than heart could wish. They say, does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? This is Psalm 73. They prosper in the world. They increase in riches. They are not worried like other men. King David thought, maybe I've cleansed my heart in vain. Maybe I've washed my hands in innocency. All day long I've been plagued. Every morning. He said, thinking about this is too painful until until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Oh, God, you put them in slippery places. Their foot shall slide in due time. Surely, 
You have cast them down into destruction. Oh, how they are brought into desolation. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Well, listen, we better be playing the long game. There is a resurrection. Well, listen, here's a proposition. Well, before that, for us, friend, away with the effectiveness paradigm. Let us live by the obedience paradigm. Following the suffering servant, the king of glory. So here's the proposition. If you're pushed into a situation where you must be a, quote, leader, here's the proposition. The more that you can emulate Jesus of Nazareth, the better of a leader you'll be. I'm not recommending that you seek a position of leadership. Just the opposite. I'm going to preach what Jesus says. Be a servant. Shall not be so of you. Don't be a chief. But if you're pushed into it, Emulate Jesus as best you can and you will be the best leader you could be. If you seek to be a servant in the design of God's kingdom, you'll end up being a leader. And the more you can emulate Jesus, the better of a leader you'll be. The leaders of this world admire and succeed in the world, at least for a short time, Because much of the world lies in sin, still serving the devil, the prince of the power of the air. But our prince, the Lord, Jesus Christ, is sovereign over all. And his kingdom has overcome this world. Listen, friend, people fear the Machiavellian prince but they can't trust Him or love Him. But we serve a servant king who loves us. A king we can trust and love. Machiavelli admired and celebrated treacherous, murderous, despotic leaders. The princes of the Gentiles. We follow and love the true prince, the Messiah of Israel, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the prince of peace, who has washed us in his blood, who washes our feet and says, follow me, love me, serve me, and whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Lord, what a thoughtless wretch was I to mourn and murmur and repine, to see the wicked placed on high in pride and robes of honor shine. But oh, their end, their dreadful end, Thy sanctuary taught me so. On slippery rocks I see them stand. 
and fiery billows roll below. Now let them boast how tall they rise. I'll never envy them again. There may they stand with haughty eyes till they plunge deep in endless pain. Their fancied joys, how fast they flee. Just like a dream when man awakes, their songs of softest harmony are but a preface to their plagues. Now I esteem their mirth and wine too dear to purchase with thy, my blood. Lord, tis enough that thou art mine, my life, my portion, and my God. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in Thy Word. There we see Thee not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear Thee saying, not depart, you cursed, but look unto me and be saved, for I am God and there is none else. They that know thy name and put their trust in thee, how many now glorified in heaven and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee and will through eternity exclaim, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator in whom all fullness dwells and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look. On him we depend. Through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness, feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. May we delight in his service as well as his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves, but to him. May we cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and the greatness of thy benefits, may we bless and praise thee at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.